0: This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the governor says he plans to appeal a judge's ruling that allows local school boards to impose mask mandates.
1: Well, it's, it's going to be appealed. Obviously, it's problematic. If you look at the ruling, he's basically saying that it had it violated the school school boards. The Parents' Bill of Rights violates the school board. But in reality, the school boards weren't even parties to the case. So I think we're gonna have really good grounds to appeal.
0: The governor's promise to appeal the ruling came on the same day the Biden administration announced it's opening civil rights investigations into five states that have policies banning school districts from requiring masks. For the third week in a row, we've had more than 150,000 new cases of COVID-19 and Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Fried says kids are being hit hard.
2: The age group with the most new cases in the past week was children under the age of 12 who cannot be vaccinated. That is why it is so important that our local officials have the ability to enact masking guidance supported by the scientific and medical community.
0: But the governor doesn't seem to be too worried about those kids. He says many of those cases are minor.
1: What's holding that kind of average up has been a huge increase in testing amongst people in school. It's not necessarily having more symptomatic illness, it's just detecting more mild cases.
0: In non-COVID news, Commissioner Freed has released a new report documenting the harm suffered by Florida growers from Mexican imports.
2: This report found the overall negative impact, economic impact of Florida due to these increased Mexican imports of up to $3.99 billion. I repeat, we are seeing an economic impact of nearly $4 billion, and that is with a B.
0: Today on the Sunrise Interview, we check in with our resident pollster and pundit, Steve Vancor. This may be my last show, but Steve is still on the hook. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the stories of two Florida men. One has been indicted for embezzling $12 million from companies trying to buy personal protective equipment. The other pulled a gun in a barber shop, and the owner shot him. And we'll say our final goodbyes after two years on the show. But first, a word from the sponsor. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged.
2: Following is a paid political advertisement paid for by Florida Education Champions. Online sports betting, it's legal and it's coming to Florida. With passage of our amendment next year, any tax revenues collected are required to supplement the Florida Educational Enhancement Trust Fund. Hundreds of millions of dollars in new revenue for students and teachers, with more choices and competition for Florida consumers. Be a champion today. Learn more and request your petition at FloridaEducationChampions.com.
0: And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, August 31st. This is World Distance Learning Day, International Overdose Awareness Day, National Matchmaker Day, National Trail Mix Day, and Love Litigating Lawyers Day. Mary Ann Nichols was found in London's East End. In 1946, Foghorn Leghorn debuted in the Wacky Talky Hockey cartoon. In 1987, there was the Great Potato Incident. A minor league catcher named Dave Breshannon tried to lure an opposing base runner off third base by using a potato carved to look like a baseball. The umpire called the runner safe, the catcher was fined $50, and was released by his team. In 1994, a Pentium computer beat world chess champ Gary Kasparov. And on this date one year ago, U.S. cases of COVID-19 passed the 6 million mark with 183,300 deaths. California and Florida had the most. On Monday, Florida reported 31,164 more COVID-19 cases and 902 deaths to the CDC. In all, Florida has recorded at least 3,231,846 cases of COVID and 44,553 deaths. In the last seven days, the state has added an average of 262 deaths and 21,300 cases every single day. Governor Ron DeSantis says he's planning to appeal the judge's decision that struck down his ban on mandatory mask rules in public schools. Judge John Cooper says that order violates Florida's new parental bill of rights, but DeSantis is having trouble wrapping his head around that concept.
1: Well, it's it's going to be appealed. Obviously, it's problematic. If you look at the ruling, he's basically saying that it had it violated the school school boards. The parents bill of rights violates the school board. But in reality, the school boards weren't even parties to the case so I think we're gonna have really good grounds to appeal um, in terms of uh, the first District Court of Appeal and look at the end of the day what the parents Bill of Rights requires in our judgment is that parents be given the right to opt out uh, if they think that's in the best interest of their kids so districts can actually have policies but you got to opt for a parent the right they basically taken away the right of parent and say you don't have any say in it um, I think at the end of the day um, uh, ultimately, we're just trying to stand with the parents. Uh, a lot of parents—they know their kid in terms of the health. Parents' Bill of Rights has said this is your this is your right here, and um, and we think it's important that they be able to give uh, be given the ability uh, to opt out. Good news is is that, you know, if you look at. Um, you know, where we're seeing, uh, obviously they've increased testing a lot amongst school-aged kids, uh, massive increase in testing. Um, but I think these are mostly asymptomatic and, and minimal cases. The American Pediatrics uh, Academy of Pediatrics even came out and, and acknowledged that the, there's no evidence that the Delta um, is more severe, with minors than the previous iterations of COVID. Um, and a lot of those are, are hospitalized for things other than COVID. They're positive, but they're being treated for other things. Um, and so, you know, it is a low risk. It remains a low risk for students, uh, which is obviously a, a very good thing. And clearly, you know, we just want parents to be able to have their kids be in the best situation to learn and to grow. And we just want kids to be able to, to learn in the best environment. Uh, and obviously we wanna make sure parents have a say in that.
0: As the governor works on his appeal the COVID casualties are piling up. Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed says we've had three weeks in a row with 150,000 new cases and we're averaging more than 200 deaths per day.
2: Another 151,749 new COVID cases in the state in the past week. The most of any state nationwide. As total cases have now reached 3,179,174 3,179,174 and 43,979 lives that have been lost. Friday's report also found for the second week in a row that those ages 12 to 19, 12 to 19, have the highest positivity rate of any group in the state at 23.1%. Even more troubling. The age group with the most new cases in the past week was children under the age of 12 who cannot be vaccinated. That is why it is so important that our local officials have the ability to enact masking guidance supported by the scientific and medical community, keeping students and staff safe at schools across the state that now that schools have been reopened. And on Friday, we saw the Florida Judicial Branch affirm which we have already known to be true. Governor DeSantis's ban on masks in school is not only dangerous for children in our classrooms, but it also violates Florida law. These are our children's lives. We must do everything in our power to protect them. The people of Florida need leadership that puts their well-being first encouraging the scientifically proven proven vaccines and masking guidance that are are our way out of this pandemic. I also want to take the opportunity to address the troubling reports of increased reports from the Florida Poison Control Center by persons self-medicating with a drug made for livestock that even with prescribed for human uses has not been approved for treating or preventing COVID-19. This is not a joke. There are serious safety concerns taking drugs intended for animals and with self-medicating without medical advice. This misinformation circulating out there puts Floridians at risk. We must listen to the science and the medical community when it comes to preventing the COVID-19 and treating it. Promoting the safe and effective vaccines and encouraging mask wearing, which is how we will beat this virus. Together. We know this. We know that the vaccine is going to slow down the spread of this virus. We know that wearing masks and following CDC guidelines is slowing down the spread of this virus. I am begging again, Floridians, go get vaccinated, wear your masks. We don't need to lose another Floridian because of something that we know we can prevent. Go do your part, get vaccinated, wear your mask and we will all get through this together.
0: What does Governor DeSantis make of the surge, the 450,000 new cases in the past three weeks? Well, he claims it's not as bad as it sounds because many of the newest victims are children.
1: He actually said that. If you look at the cases amongst people over the age of 20, you see a clear decline over the last two weeks, which is obviously a good thing because those are the folks over 50 who are most likely to have serious illness you are, what's holding that kind of average up has been a huge increase in testing amongst people in school. It's not necessarily having more symptomatic illness, it's just detecting more mild cases. And so if you look at the graph on the number age group testing, it's a huge increase. And so I think they're detecting more mild cases but I think if you look at the decline in ED visits, I think if you look at the decline in hospital admissions, and I think if you look at the decline in hospital census, you know, those are really the key indicators about where symptomatic illness is. So I think as the whole back to school stuff and some of that testing goes, I think you'll start to see, I actually think it's going down in the school age, I just think that they're, they're testing so much that the numbers are being held, but the percent positive I do think is going down.
0: A final note on the Florida death toll to put things in perspective. More people have died of COVID-19 in Florida in the past two weeks than American military members have died in Afghanistan in the past 20 years. A federal judge hears arguments over a controversial law that enhances penalties and creates new crimes in protests that turn violent. The Dream Defenders, the Florida State Conference of the NAACP, and other organizations claim House Bill 1, approved by Republicans and signed by Governor DeSantis this spring, is unconstitutionally vague, has a chilling effect on First Amendment rights, and gives local police too much power. The governor seemed to concede Monday that the law is vulnerable, but he expressed confidence it will eventually be upheld on appeal.
1: So, HB1, of course, that was our bill that did two two basic things. One is it told, uh, said to the people of Florida, if a local government tries to defund law enforcement, we at the state, we're going to make sure to block that. We are not going to let the police be defunded in the state of Florida. If you look where that's happened throughout this country, it's been disastrous with the um, the crime that is just totally spiking out of control. So you got to stand by law enforcement will do it. The other component that was really significant is really serious penalties for folks who are engaged in violent assemblies or any type of mob violence. In Portland, you engage in mob violence, they slap you on the wrist, put you back on the street. Here in Florida, we're making sure that you're gonna see the inside of a jail cell. I'm confident, look, when we're in, when we're in trial courts, it is what it is. I mean, last year, remember, uh, they sued us to close the schools. We had we were, we were getting the schools open. They sued us. We lost in the trial court. We won in the appeals court. That was state court. Um, so I'm confident that, that we will eventually win however it shakes out. And um, I think that we're safer as a result of, of, of that bill. And I think we were safer as a result last summer when we called out the National Guard. We were working with all the local law enforcement as a team. They knew the governor stood by them 100% and they were able to really, I think, um, you know, keep order in a way that some of these other cities were not. You can talk about all these important issues that we always talk about, education, uh, talk about jobs. Obviously, we've done well economically in Florida, and it's all important. You don't have that baseline of public safety. A lot of that that just kind of goes out the window. We need to have safe communities, and that was one way to be able to do it.
0: Opponents of that law say peaceful protesters risk being arrested at rallies that turn violent even if they don't participate in any wrongdoing. The State Department of Agriculture releases a new report on the harm done to Florida growers by Mexican imports. Commissioner Nikki Freed says it's costing tens of thousands of jobs in the state and billions of dollars.
2: The findings continue to be shocking and demonstrate that Florida producers continue to suffer a disproportionate economic injury. Between 2000 and 2020, we saw a 580% increase of specialty crop imports from Mexico overall, nearly 600%. And we took a closer look at four commodities that are some of our top crops that have continuously seen major impacts from increased Mexican imports. While Florida saw its bell peppers market share drop by nearly 75% between 2000 and 2020, Mexico's gained by 95% during the same window. Florida tomatoes were down 52%, while Mexico's were up 102%. Mexico's strawberries and blueberry market share gains were even more dramatic, both increasing by 266% from 2000 to 2020, while Florida strawberries lost 30% and blueberries nearly 58%. The the economic results of all of this? A $23.3 billion gap now exists between Mexican ag exports and Florida's total agricultural value. Florida producers are losing an estimated 10 to 20% in sales every single year, or $1.31 billion to $2.63 billion annually because of Mexico's ag export expansion. This total economic loss equates to as many as 35,000 Florida jobs lost, up to 88 million in lost indirect tax revenue for Florida annually. With agriculture, Florida's second largest industry, these unfair foreign trade practices and their devastating economic impact should be of grave concern to every single Floridian. In fact, this report found the overall negative impact, economic impact of Florida due to these increased Mexican imports of up to 3.99 billion dollars. I repeat, we are seeing an economic impact of nearly 4 billion dollars and that is with a B. We also know that we also know that the best produce comes from fresh from Florida, thanks to the best farmers with agriculture $137 billion economic impact in our state. And Florida farmers are used to weathering challenges, from hurricanes to invasive species, and are used to competition. But they need the federal government's help to level the playing field, because right now we know Mexico and others are not fighting fair. Unfortunately, with no action taken over the last 20 years, we have seen too many of our family farms shut down. This isn't partisan, and it shouldn't be just regional. This is about putting American farmers first. And our farmers can't afford more inaction for us to not fight this fight.
0: Last year, Commissioner Freed presented a similar report showing the economic harm U.S. trade policies are having on seasonal produce growers in Florida, and nothing changed. Next up, the Sunrise interview, but with a twist. Today, our resident pollster and pundit Steve Vancor has the chance to put me on the spot.
3: First of all, you are going to be very missed. You have been uh I remember we just getting involved in politics hearing the voice of Rick Flagg. Uh uh I guess it was Florida News Network, uh Florida Public Radio, I guess, all all the different channels I can hardly remember, but it, I would be remiss in not saying uh you've become an institution and uh very well respected and genuinely liked. And that's
0: a rare thing to leave uh, on a high note, isn't it? It's nice of you to say that. I I have had some... I I guess it's because I try to be humorous in what I do that people tend to be a lot less strict and a lot more forgiving on your personal foibles. Because if you can make people laugh, that's half the battle.
3: I I think you're right. Well, you made uh, Governor Jeb Bush laugh and so he reached out and said, Rick, I I, I love you. I love working with you. I I liked uh, all the back and forth. But things have changed a lot since uh, in the media world and how things are covered. Just hit me with it. What, what, what do you When you look back, what has changed the most and what has changed the least?
0: Well, you know, we don't have the back and forth that we used to have. It used to be in the old days of, of Bob Graham and Lawton Childs and Jeb Bush. You could sit down with the governor and just talk to him one on one. No, you know, no screens around, no people sending filters. Just have a chat. It was the days before there was big security and there were security checkpoints everywhere and you had to show a pass to get in. But those days are gone. I mean, a a sit down, this this is how it happens. Sometimes we just wander into the building and just wander into the office and sit down and talk to the guy. That was the kind of access that we used to have, which we no longer have. So now as a result, you don't get to know the governor. You don't get to know the various people around them, and it's all kept behind closed doors. So I think that's been the biggest change. Once, government was open and accessible, but no more.
3: Did that transition happen? Was it fully realized with Rick Scott, who was always very tightly scripted? Or was it Charlie Crist, who appeared to be loosey-goosey, but also, as we learn more about him, was also pretty tightly scripted?
0: Well, Charlie was one of these fascinating guys. We had a rule that you never asked him if he was concerned about something because he was always concerned about something. You know, that was the standard question you would ask before to try and get them to emote on something. Well, he'd always emote on it. So we stopped asking him after a while if he was concerned about something and just asked him to get into it. But you're right. He was very scripted, but he was available. He would talk. He would chat. He may not say anything, but he was available. That changed entirely when Rick Scott took office. Uh, He just, you know, we were the dirt underneath his shoes, and if he could scrape us off at the door, he was glad to do that.
3: Was Rick Scott, I don't want to overstate his role, but was he more cause or was he more effect?
0: You know, honestly, when I think back to when he first signed up to run, when he first met the Capitol Press Corps, he was horrified. Because we all surrounded him. At the uh, Division of Elections, we all stuck cameras in his face and microphones, and we wouldn't let him give his standard canned answers. We were peppering questions left and right. And I think he left that little encounter with the determination that it would never happen again. And it didn't. He uh, controlled access pretty much right down the line. After that, and, uh, you know, the rest is Rick Scott history. He never has to answer a question he doesn't want to.
3: So the, the channels themselves have changed. You know, when you first got started in this business, if you walked into a bar, you got two, three, four, five varieties of beer, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of, in a lot of ways, that's a metaphor for the media. You had very few outlets, uh, very few large outlets. Now, if you walk into a bar and they don't offer you 60 kinds of beer, you're a little mad. And it's the same way with the media, right? So you have this kind of new level of competition within the media. You've got uh, not, you know, so we're we're watching newspapers collapse around us. We see the consolidation of the newspaper industry under the, you know, Florida's got gatehouse and get that into one uh, in, your, in your estimation, Rick, there's a little bit more competition in the, in the media world, but on the other hand, it's sort of less. What do you see from the channels themselves that have changed, and what, what can we learn from that?
0: I think we, what we've lost is that we don't have any one leader or any one particular media outlet that is the undisputed king. Back in the days we had the newspapers that were scrapping it out and boy, they, those were great days. You had the Tampa Trib, the St. Pete Times, the Miami Herald, and they were scrapping, they were fighting. and so. As a result, we got great stories. There was this incredible competition. Now there is no competition anymore. A few newspapers, a few media outlets that break stories, but the rest of the folks are just waiting to pick up the pieces and waiting to see what falls out, the easy-picking stuff, the governor's press conferences, that sort of thing. I, I think... Yeah, I, I,
3: I, Go ahead. And, and they seem to be driven, unfortunately, by... I had a publisher of a major newspaper say look i wake up every day and i read the click reports what stories are people clicking on and if that's how you begin your day i guess the era of woodward and bernstein comes to a close
0: with that moment oh yeah absolutely it's it's been the death knell this whole click you know fetish basically if you get enough clicks on any on any story, that's basically the whole concept behind the Florida man thing. To tell you the truth, we throw that in at the end of the show because we know people love the Florida man stories. That's our bit of clickbait, but we try not to get it too high up in the broadcast. But
3: there are, but there are so many more outlets. I mean, you've got. I think I, I would make the argument that Florida politics, which this week broke the story about the uh, chief of staff, they're covering. The six, seven, eight reporters, there's no bureau ever had that many reporters in my recollection, but you've also got Politico, you got Fine out Dixon, uh, uh, Mark Caputo now, I guess he's gone, uh, national, but you do have not traditional newspapers, but you do have other outlets for news that's customized to people. You have the capitalists, you had sunshine state news, you've got News service of Florida, I mean, there, there, there is still, it's not just that strata, right? The newspaper's all competing, uh, but you have this kind of other strata in there trying to get, get word out there as well.
0: Yeah, that's that strange little layer. We're not quite sure where to put them. They're online. They're, they have a presence in print, but they aren't really print. They have a presence in broadcast, but they aren't really broadcast. It's just jack-of-all-trades news.
3: Yeah. And I guess the the question, in your opinion, is it better or is it I hear you say things like the good old days. You know, I remember, Rick, I want to get to the question in a second, but I remember sitting in a budget meeting and it was like every one of you just mentioned there was a reporter sitting in there. And I thought to myself, well, there's a DCF meeting going on. There's another meeting. There's another meeting. But nobody's covering those because they're all covering the, the the budget appropriations meeting or the the breaking news or, uh, uh, of this thing so they gabble they gaggle together so the theory of like gatehouse gannett was that they could all divide and conquer and and then distribute it to 20 different news outlets so I I think what you're going to say is it was better then than it is now but is that is that is that fair or or is it just different
0: it was better then but I don't know if I like the the whole you know spread out the stories thing. Basically, everyone ended up coalescing around that one story because that was the big story of the day. You can assign people to the lesser stories of the day and it, they may not run. So I, I really don't think you gain that much by splitting up and saying we can cover all this other stuff because let's face it, there's, there's a limited news hole for state news. It's not local. It's not national. It's kind of the forgotten section of the paper, or the forgotten section of the broadcast. So we really have to, you know, there has to be something special for state news to make it. And a lot of times there isn't anything special about state news.
3: No, that's that's fair. And, you know, when, when you look at, when you again, when you started, it was all politics is local. Um, that is clearly no longer issue at least you know in in party races so much is driven by national media so i'm getting my full of news listen it was a big deal on long island new york we had a morning paper and an afternoon paper because if you wanted to know something that was going on locally that was the in local being defined as new york uh you had to read the paper it wasn't eight different 24-hour news cycle
0: stations that were constantly feeding me with what i wanted to be for yeah they were just they were just the two news cycles there and it was easy to keep up with them nowadays the, the news cycle is every hour on the hour
3: yeah is that rush is that rush to get it first has that displaced the rush to get it right
0: oh yeah definitely um A lot of times the instructions will come down, just get something on, anything, as long as we have it there, and go back and fix it later, but get it on now. I really do not like that philosophy, and I'm kind of glad that the the situation I'm in doesn't require that, because there's nothing timely about a podcast. It's just what happened that day.
3: Well, it's funny, because a lot of times I'll be working with reporters, and I'll say, look, this is a complicated subject. Would you mind? Of course, I always ask, would you send me the story before you post it so if there's any factors we can correct it ahead of time? Because back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you'd read about it in the morning paper, the physical thing. Well, if there's a correction to be had, (laughs) next, at best, you got 7B two days later. Oh, by the way, a little correction. But now you can correct in real time. And literally, the story posts. I call the writer right away. I call my client right away. I get that, 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 that. We fix it before it goes to print. Uh, what there is to fix, or you get a post-publication comment that travels with the story. I, I wonder. Part of me likes that because it can make it more accurate. But I think what you're saying is that leads to sloppiness. Knowing that you get another crack at the at the at the uh, at the apple. Sauce. Yeah,
0: if you can fix it after the fact, then you'll you'll have that pressure to go ahead and publish first, and that's not the best thing.
3: I I often think the newspaper business, more than anything, is victims. Of the world we live in, where I need to know now, and you're going to measure the success of a story by the number of clicks.
0: I think that's an accurate assessment. It's unfortunate, but it is accurate.
3: Rick, a lot has changed. Uh, It sounds somebody's going to say it's all for the for the worse, but no, that's not all for the worst. yeah, yeah. I mean, tell me what's good. What's 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 good that's changed.
0: What can we do now? I can cover five meetings simultaneously thanks to the internet. I can, I can cover all of those little subcommittee meetings that I couldn't get to before, but at the same time, should I be covering them? If there's a reason why those small meetings didn't get covered before, because they were nonsense. Nowadays, we have the time to, to cover them. And uh, well, that's not actually a good statement because we don't have the time. We have, we have the opportunity. Let me put it that way. We, we don't necessarily have the time to get to all the little stories.
3: You've been sailing on these waters for a long time, what, um, so I think that gives you a really good position to assess where you think things are going. What, what do you see the next few years, at least the foreseeable future,
0: going with media? Oh, geez. You know, if, if I knew where media was going, I probably wouldn't be retiring right now, but I have no clue. The media landscape is just fractured. It's all over the place, and, you know, it's, I'm not comfortable with it anymore, uh, that's one of the reasons why I want to move on because this new media landscape is not my media landscape. So I'll just pack up my bags and head on home.
3: <laughs> always honest, always direct. Rick, um, thank you for your years of service and your commitment to getting to the truth. Uh, we all owe you a little bit of uh, what we know um, is, is in large part because of uh, the work of Rick Flagg. Um, I, 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 I love the contrast for those who haven't met you, uh, you are the, the embodiment of the gentle giant. You're a, you're an imposing figure and I'll never forget. I, after your father passed, I sat with you and just took two minutes out of our day to ask you how we, how you feeling? How's it going? And then the next time I saw you, he had a little rock. Uh, with the word thank you on it. And i what's this? And you said, well, you took some time to ask me. Uh, I think that that embodies who Rick, Rick Flagg is really a decent, decent fella, And
0: we were glad to have you in our world for 43 short years. <laughs> and I was glad to be here. Thank you so much for that, Steve. Many thanks to my friend and colleague, Steve VanCor for everything he did to make this podcast a success. Your calendar of events begins early. At 8.30, the State University System Board of Governors meets in Miami to hold a series of committee meetings. This is in advance of a full board meeting on Wednesday. The Florida Elections Commission meets by conference call at 8.30. The Florida Supreme Court meets at 9 to hear oral arguments. The State Charter School Appeals Commission meets at 9. The Florida Public Service Commission Nominating Council will interview candidates for two seats on the PSC at 10. And the Putnam County Legislative Delegation meets in Palatka as it prepares for the 2022 session. A Florida man has been indicted for defrauding personal protective equipment purchasers out of more than $12 million during the pandemic, money which he allegedly used to fund his own lifestyle, including the purchase of a multi-million dollar waterfront mansion in Boca Raton. 44-year-old Brian Sperber is charged with one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud, four counts of wire fraud, one count of conspiracy to commit money laundering, and four counts of money laundering by the federal court in the Northern District of Georgia. A Florida man was shot and wounded when he pulled a gun in a barber shop. 24-year-old Marlon Mosko was pointing the weapon at several patrons at Melbourne's New York Hair Barber Shop, but the owner of the shop shot him in the hip before he could do anything. The man's charged with aggravated assault with a firearm. And finally today, a Florida man is hanging up his microphone after more than 43 years of covering the Capitol. I'd like to thank Peter Schorsch for the opportunity to host this podcast. It was a great way to end my career. I'll always be grateful for the chance to ride off into the sunset at my own pace. You know, in commercial radio, you tend to disappear with no chance to say goodbye. But with the podcast, I can say farewell. Live long, enjoy life, and try not to take any of this Capitol crap too seriously. It's simply not worth the aggravation and I promise not to be one of those folks who keeps coming back to the Capitol even after I retire. From now on, the only time you'll see me there is when I'm delivering honey. That's it for my final episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again next week for the new and improved Sunrise with Tramiel Gomes as he plums the depths of Florida politics. As for me, I'm out of here. <music>